Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, February 25th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And uh, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and our good friends now over at The Grueling Truth which is also available on the iHeartRadio network. Pretty much everywhere where you can find a podcast, I'm working on being those places where I'm not. Hope everybody's doing well on this Sunday. Mets uh, with a spring training victory. The games are underway. And I think we have a pretty cool show ahead for you as Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post, he's down in Florida, will join me in just a little bit. Mike's been... uh, writing a little bit about the pace of play and the changes made at baseball, how he believes Ioannis Cespedes and you Noah know, Syndergaard are a couple of big pieces that the Mets essentially have to be anchored by. And he even got into a little bit about uh, owning the town, which I personally believe is kind of a wasted argument, but always makes for good debate, especially when you're not in the season and you're preparing for the season, and there's tons of other things going on, and, and maybe when those, when those those slow times 
those are the kind of baseball debates you have. But anyway, um, another week of spring training in the books, and uh, we just came off our call-in show, and I thought it went really well. Hope you guys enjoyed it and uh, had some cool feedback over on Twitter. Of course, you could always go to Twitter at Mike Silver Media and find out about the next show, what's going on, what am I talking about, all those things. So what are we really focused on before we get to Mike? A couple of things I just want to point out. Let's start off with the obvious and and with the Mets. And if you didn't think that things are different with this 2018 Mets team under Mickey Calloway and Dave Island, this week, and yes, I know what some of the skeptics are saying, that the Mets are really playing this up. This Callaway is the new age manager, how things are different. It's amazing how all the things that I talked about the last couple of years on this program, and really going back to the beginning of Collins' tenure, are things that are being accentuated and focused on with the media on this Mets team. Accountability, attention to detail, Uh, preparation, I mean, things that I personally do not believe this team has been good at for a really, really, really long time. Maybe it's as far back as 10 years, maybe longer. And the fact that this is the theme of the camp is really fundamental ABCs. But I said this last week, I'll continue to say this. I'll say this till I'm blue in the face, and you guys could turn the podcast off and say, heard enough of it, Mike. But... If Callaway could come in with the theme of accountability, preparedness, attention to detail, focus, I really believe this group will maximize its results, which may not be the results that lead to a division title or deep playoff run, but I do believe it will maximize its results at the highest level. I do not believe this group has done that to date, and I really know that you could throw out the 2015 season. I'm not quite sure that that group maximized its results because it did not win the championship, and I think they should have. So, anyway, you saw it in person, live. Dom Smith late on Friday. Mets basically said, said you're not playing. And uh, if Dom Smith doesn't get an alarm clock at this point, I love how he, he said the following day, hey, you know, I was up all night waiting to get to the ballpark. Well, Dom, if, if it's this much of a struggle at this point, it's only going to get hotter. It's going to get hotter when you're in the grind of August and you're in the middle of a pennant race and you've, you've played two weeks straight without a day off. And, you know, you've got to get yourself going for a day game after a very late night game. So I'm not really impressed that Dom Smith learned his lesson. We saw this a couple of years back, actually, uh, the year the Mets went to the World Series. What was it? Bobby Parnell and David Wright throwing uh, Noah Syndergaard's lunch out when he went into the clubhouse in the middle of a spring training game. Uh, wasn't really interested in watching the game, which which is something that was brought up also by Callaway and Island about how they want the pitchers on the bench focused on the game, focused on the 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 uh, opposing team's hitters. I mean, you it's always and I know that it's a long season and players are going to go in and out of the clubhouse and and kind of do their thing. It's impossible for the players to sit on the bench and look at the game like you or I would sitting on our couch. I mean, even while we're sitting on the couch as this being entertainment or reporting or or whatever you're doing with it, you're going to flick the channel. You're going to get up. You're going to turn your attention to a conversation. That's not the point. The point is you're being engaged and involved on a consistent basis. And setting the tone of accountability with Don Smith is exactly what Mickey Calloway needed to do. 
And I'll tell you what, I know everybody's been talking about Dom Smith's weight. I know he's always been a topic of conversation. I know that there's always been questions about him since he was drafted. You just, it goes back, and, and I hope I'm absolutely wrong, and I hope this guy goes out and in short order hits 30 home runs, plays near gold glove defense, and makes you think that, hey, how can you ever have doubted him? He wouldn't have been the first prospect to get off to a rough start or have questions about their makeup or their performance on the field, but it just doesn't feel right. And here's the good news. Here's how I would put it. Dom Smith may be the quote-unquote heir apparent to first base. He may be high on the prospect lists, but the way I look at it, this is Adrian Gonzalez's job to lose. You pretty much have that feeling. And Adrian Gonzalez is a veteran. He's a guy with over 300 home runs. He's a guy that was an all-star just a couple of years ago. He's a guy that certainly knows how to play this game. And maybe he only has a quarter of a tank left, but if that quarter of a tank is enough to produce at a decent level to be, I'm not saying an all-star, but a very solid Major League third baseman, I think he's going to be the, uh, excuse me, first baseman. I think he's going to be the first baseman this year. And here's the other part. There's a guy named Peter Alonzo that started in place of Don Smith on Friday, and he's got a little bit of pop. Now, he may not be the defensive player that Smith is, and there's a lot of questions about that, but if Dom Smith thought he was just going to waltz in and get this position because he was a number one draft pick five years ago, and, and I've had this feeling that there is a certain amount, and you heard it a little bit when Zach Wheeler heard about the Jason Vargas signing, a scholarship mentality like, hey, this is my position. It's here for me. It'll be there for me when I finally figure it out. That's just not the case, and it cannot be the case. It just cannot be the case. So you really saw, again, the whole the, the dopey Donald Trump Jr. controversy, checkmark, Callaway deflected it, swatted it away. Dom Smith shows up late, could be the first controversy in the new regime's era. Checkmark did the right thing. There shouldn't be any discussion. This should be the manager's call. This should be straight the manager's call. It's not Jay Horwitz's call. It shouldn't be PR getting involved and trying to cover it up. It shouldn't be Fred Wilpon's call. It shouldn't be Jeff Wilpon's call. It shouldn't be Stanley Alderson's call. It shouldn't be John Rickles' call. This is the stuff that's the manager's call. And I don't want to hear all the people saying, well, it's the middle manager. All the manager does is uh, disseminate the message from the front office. Nonsense. This is the kind of stuff that a field manager, pitching coach, You hire these guys to manage the personnel. Yes, there's a theme and a philosophy that should align based on the person that you hire with the front office philosophy. They all should be in sync. That's why you hire the right person. That's why when the owner for the last seven years has been enforcing a person or an individual that was not necessarily who the front office wanted, it's a problem. And that's why you had a problem the last couple of years with Terry Collins. So to me – that is, uh, uh, number one, uh, the story from this week, and a really, a really good thing that comes out of it. Now, the, the other part about this is it's going to be uh, all peaches and roses and ice cream throughout the year for Mickey Calloway. No. But you have a manager across the way, and I have to tell you, this is where the Yankees actually connect with the Mets. And the Yankees could help the Mets, and here's why. The New York Post is already running some kind of contest trying to name these, this new-age Yankees murderers row lineup. And I, I mean, I really, if I'm a Yankees fan. I know this isn't a Yankees show, and I like to poke at the self importance of the Yankees fan, their organization, and all that stuff because it's just so easy. It's just so nauseating. But 
if this is where you're at before they have scored a single regular season run, that you're nicknaming a, a lineup and an offense that hasn't done a darn thing. I remember five years ago how the New York Giants were supposed to be an historically great offense with Eli Manning when Bob McAdoo took over. And uh, that never happened. Or it might have been right before Bob McAdoo took over. It was around that time where you were looking at all the components and the pieces. Oh, they're going to be an historically great offense. doesn't happen. Sometimes this historically great quote-unquote offense stuff or historically great pitching, talking about the Mets, doesn't happen. How about they just be, and I'm going to just keep quoting Mickey Calloway on this, and I heard Aaron Boone say this as well, the best version of what they're supposed to be. I remember they always, Sports Illustrated always has these covers, you know, the greatest pitcher ever. I think they did it with Greg Maddox back in the early 90s, and certainly Greg Maddox was a really good pitcher. Was he the greatest pitcher ever? No, I don't think so. So sometimes that goes overboard. Where that plays into helping the Mets is it takes a little bit of the pressure off of a Calloway. And you saw Stephen Matz mention this. There was an article by Kevin Kernan of The Post. He talked to Dave Island, and Dave Island basically said he thinks this is the ML, you know, baseball's best staff, MLB's best staff in all the league. Glad that he's putting the chips to the center of the table. I like that. I like how this group off the bat, this management team, they're not hemming and hawing. They're not saying, well, this is good, but if that – look. You guys want to be great. You guys want to live up to the hype. You guys want to be the big men on campus. You guys have to put the chips to the center of the table, not halfway. And he talks about that, but cautioning also that, hey, they have a lot to prove. They have to stay healthy. And Stephen Matz even talked about, well, this is a nice position to be in. Nobody is picking them to win. Nobody thinks they're going to get healthy. Everybody thinks if they stay healthy, that it will be an outlier. So now they could sneak in and do their thing and let everybody doubt them and – Sometimes that's not a bad position to be in. Think about it. That's pretty much the position they were in in 2015, and they did not handle, since that day, they did not handle success or leverage success very well. And you see what you, what, what you really have to like about this camp so far. It's about preparation. It's about work. It's about meat and potatoes baseball. No horses, no cars. No uh, bear crunches or bear lifts in the weightlifting room. No covers. I don't want any Sports Illustrated covers. I don't want any hype. Hell, if ESPN or SI or MLB Network doesn't want to spend any time talking about the New York Mets, that's okay. Because you know what? Let them hang out in Houston camp. Let them go hang out down in Tampa with the Yankees. Let them go and talk to the Dodgers out in Arizona. Let them go follow the Cubs like they're always going to do. Let them go hype, uh, you know, whoever, the Brewers. You know, now you hear about how the Phillies are so improved, and maybe they'll get Jake Arrieta. Maybe they could do, you know, hype about that. Let them do that. All this organization, all this coaching staff, all this manager, all this pitching coach has to do is go out there and work and win. And when the pressure is on the Yankees, and this is the point I'm trying to make here, let the Mets fly under the radar, because if the Mets get off to a little bit of a rough start, all the attention is going to be on the Yankees. Let that shadow, that little brother syndrome that drives every Mets fan nuts, let that be sort of a good thing for the, the organization to fly under and do their thing. Because you don't necessarily want, and this will happen, you've already seen it with you know, the injury report, that the organization sends out every day. You know, there's plantar fasciitis of, of Bruce, and Lagares has a little bit of a tweaked hamstring. Look, you can't freak out 
over every injury. The organization has made a, 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 a conscious effort to be transparent about the injuries because of miscommunication or maybe the media misreporting it and everybody going you know, berserk about it. If you believe, if you have believed at any point in the history of watching baseball, whether you've been watching it for three years, three seconds, 30 years, 50 years, that your, the players on your favorite team were healthy 100% every day, and the only time they weren't healthy is when they were on the disabled list, then you've been fooling yourselves for a long time. I might as well have been just have told you that there's no Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. Because they're not. They're tweaks. There's aches. There's pains. There's a difference between being banged up, being sore, being a little uh, hurt, and being disabled. And I think right now, I don't think any of the players are necessarily disabled. And going for an MRI, whether it be Dom Smith's quad or Jay Bruce's plantar fasciitis or Lagares' hamstring, is just good proper precaution. So let's not freak out about that yet. Certainly some injuries that bear watching, especially Bruce with plantar fasciitis this early. That's a, that's a debilitating injury that pretty much takes him out of action. I mean, there's nothing you can do when you have that. And, and it, could, it could really alter a career. It's, it's a big part of what's happened to Albert Pujols uh, as a player. So a lot of good stuff. Again, I keep saying this over the last couple of weeks. You can't not be positive right now. And to me, that's, that's a good thing over Mets camp. Now, before we get to Mike Vaccaro, who will join us in just a minute, there's been some new rules changes with pace of play. And we'll get into it with Mike. And, and I don't really have any problem with them limiting the visits to the mound. At some point, it's, it's like you have to be able to, to put accountability on the catcher and the pitcher to speed up their process, to speed up their routine. Yes, you are paying these guys to be perfect, to execute, sometimes slowing things down, which is what anybody's going to tell you. When you're in trouble, when you're an athlete, when you're feeling under pressure, try to slow the game down. Sometimes slowing it down to a crawl is just as bad as speeding up too much, in my opinion. And if this means that they're limiting visits to the mound where they have to count, and, and just to go through it, it looks like if a pinch hitter's been announced, that's not going to count for a visit to the mound. Um, it doesn't look like um, in between innings there's going to be any counts for a visit. This is just like, hey, timeout, catcher's got to go out to the mound. Hey, timeout, Dave Island, the pitching coach, is going to go out and talk to the pitcher. Hey, timeout, you know, so on and so forth. Maybe what this will do will just basically put a, the, the pitching coach or the manager in the position with, let's just go yank the pitcher. Like, if he's in trouble, I know sometimes talking to him helps maybe slow things or work on a mechanical adjustment or things of that nature. But reality is, I think a lot of times they're just trying to bide some time for the bullpen. It's gonna Listen, it's going to make bullpen management. It's going to make the in-game decision-making a little trickier. And, I, and that's why I'm glad the Mets have really made this move with some forward-thinking, younger, smarter, more multifaceted coaches. I'm, I'm telling you, you, you have just seen in the last couple of year, uh, weeks how badly run the Mets have been. I'm sorry, badly run. But anyway, I'm belaboring that point. Uh, you, you have the, the pace of play change. I have no problem with the, the, the mound visits. The pitch clock, you know, they're not going into that yet. I think inevitably they're going to have something there. What really is going to have an impact, and baseball is going to have to make this conscious decision, with the way the game has evolved where hitters are working counts, 
where pictures and the signs and all the technology, you have to be much more careful with how you disseminate information if you're the catcher of the pitcher, where there's defensive positioning, uh, you know, a lot more home runs, a lot more walks, things that slow the game down. A home run slows the, the, the game down because you got to trot around the bases and, you know, really reset with, with all that stuff. The real impact will be getting the, the 20 seconds that they've reduced the commercials in between innings, whether it be a national game or a local game, I think will have a big impact. And I think ultimately what they have to think about doing is the screen-on-screen type of advertising. I am fully aware of the impact and the value and the dollars being spent to advertise during Major League Baseball games, and I understand that those dollars, if they go away in impacts the pie that both the owners and the players are enjoying. Remember, the revenues from commercial advertising is what fuels big free agent contracts. There is a way to get your brand across in an appropriate fashion and still keep the game going. And this is going to be also something that will drive baseball purists nuts. But rather than miss first pitches or cut out quickly or what have you, there was, a, and I believe it was a Major League Baseball game. It might not have been. Maybe it was an NBA game. I can't remember what I was watching. But there was a game that they were doing, screen and screen. It was like a split screen. You still were able to watch the action. There were, obviously, you were not hearing the announcers. But you had the commercial to the right, and it was running. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily what a, a, a company's brand wants. Does it want to be a disruptor in the middle of the action? Is that going to annoy the the uh, viewer of Major League Baseball? Yeah, it, it will. It will annoy them, but it keeps the game going. And I think you get to the point where you listen to these commercials, and, and you could probably memorize every single SNY commercial. By the second week of the season, you'll know pretty much all the big advertisers of SNY. They'd, they'd have been embedded in your brain by very quickly into the season. Have them run, you know, commercial, commercial. Even if it's in between batters, I don't need to hear the walk-up music all the time. I love Gary, Keith, and Ron. I love Keith stories. But if you have to kind of just, you know, fade into a commercial for 30 seconds while that hitter is walking up or that pitching coach is making a uh, visit to the mound, funny that I bring that up with all that's going on, or whatever, you certainly have that, and that will probably reduce or potentially allow them to reduce it even more. Get it down to about two minutes in between innings. In, out, in, out. When you guys go out and you play softball or you play in your rec leagues, it's in, out, in, out, you know, off the field, on the field, off the field, on the field. Yeah, I know there's no pitching visits to the mound. I know it's a completely different situation, but that's ultimately what holds games up. When you start not on time, when you drag in between innings, and that's the problem with the pace of play. Everything else they're trying to do, you know, proposing seven-inning games or – you know, making sure you could only have a certain amount of pitchers in a game, or oh, let's have this cute idea. Uh, let's let's make make a, the team that's down in the ninth inning bat whoever they want because that'll that'll make up for a slow game and the fans will get excited because you know back in uh, 1999 and 2000 it would always be Mike Piazza in a big spot. Come on, it'd always be Yohan Cespedes up if the Mets are down. It'd always be uh, Ahmed Rosario. It'd always be Todd Frazier. Well, that's silly. I understand, and Mike Vaccaro wrote about this, and we'll get to him, and I'll wrap up here, about how the NBA has changed with the three-point shot, and the NFL added the two-point conversion, 
and hockey changed its rules to a certain degree when they had issues with scoring. But really, to me, baseball is very simple. That's what makes it great. That's what, you know, you can make changes to division alignment. You can make changes maybe by adding nuances to the rules. But fundamentally changing how the game is played, to me, there's a problem there. Changing a seven-inning game is like taking the NBA and making it two quarters instead of four. It's like turning the NFL from a 15-minute quarters to a 10-minute quarters. Or, you know, I know they've moved the, the kickoff where it starts when there's a, a touchback, but it's, it's like shortening the field. Like, to me, it just does not make sense. And that is a drastic solution to what is a much simpler problem, which is figure out how to continue the commercialization and the revenue while not getting the game dragged out to the point where the commercials are so burned in your head that that's where the boredom sets in. That's why you, you flick away and you get interested in something else while the game is going on. So anyway, let's take a break. When we return, Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post will join us. Let's hear his take on these topics and others. And uh, we'll hear from him. And then later on, I'll wrap up and get into what's next and the schedule and all that fun stuff. We'll be right back with Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post right after this. We are going to see the pace of play initiatives for the 2018 season. This is uh, MLB Commissioner Robert Manfred and, uh, saying, I'm pleased that we were able to reach an understanding with the Players Association to take concrete steps to address pace of play with the cooperation of players. My strong preference is to continue to have ongoing dialogue with players on this topic to find mutually acceptable solutions. So, hmm, first and like foremost, that. let's just say right off the bat, there is not going to be a pitch clock. So they're not, we're yeah. not going to see that in 2018, but we're going to walk you through the initiatives here one by one so that you have an understanding of what you will see in 2018. And we're going to start with the mound visits. So mound visits without a pitching change shall be limited to six per team per nine innings. For any extra innings played, each club shall be entitled to one additional non-pitching change mound visit per inning. So Harold... Let's start there. I mean, your thoughts right. here just on the fact that, A, we're going to enforce these uh, pace of play initiatives, and then your thoughts on the mound business. Well, one, uh, the commissioner had the right to enforce whatever he wanted to. He wanted to get an agreement with the players. He didn't want to go out there being the guy that forced something on them. So he worked it out. Uh, the piss clock was a big sticking yeah. point for, for everybody. But that's still not on the table right now, although he said things are still negotiable. That may be something you look at the following year where, again, he's going to have that power to go ahead and enforce the rules that he was looking at for for next year. A manager or coach trip to the mound to meet with the pitcher. The player leaving his position to confer with the pitcher and the pitcher leaving the mound to confer with another player. That is constituted as a visit. So, in other words, stay in your position, stay off my mound, keep the game going. All right, that's one. Now, these are not mound visits, and I think this is how smart they got with the rules. Discussing between pitcher, p- pitchers and position players in normal course of play that does not cause a player to relocate. All right, so don't just frivolously, you know how they hold up the hand and say, go talk to him. Right. They're not stalling the game for that for somebody to warm up. Player cleaning his spikes on the mound under rainy conditions, or a lot of times you put a lot of water on the field with mud on their spikes. Here's why this is important, is that... It could be used as a stall tactic. For, for the most part, all those tools are sitting on the mound when, with the, the tongue that you can use to dig dirt out of your spikes. Yep, yep. Those are on the mound. They're not sitting out in the infield. Right. So a guy goes in there to do that. He's down on the knee cleaning it up, and you're in and out. You can try to get tricky, 
But the umpires are smarter than that. So I think that was important. They looked at the game, and one of the things the players wanted was to not disrupt the flow of baseball. So I think with this, they keep the real flow of the baseball game intact. They kept the traditional mound visits, but they've eliminated what people got irritated with, was the catcher going out a million times. And if he wasn't, then a position player was. So that's been the big change, and it's going to affect the game, how it moves on. We're back, and uh, joining us is Mike Vaccaro, the New York Post. You guys know him over on Twitter, at Mike Vac, and uh, we're going to have some fun here. Mike, pleasure to have you on the program. So with the NBA season here in New York turning to utter nonsense, let's say, or, 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 or total garbage, Rick Nash getting traded uh, from the Rangers, uh, the football season never really started. Uh, is there any better time than for New York fans and for a columnist like yourself to start hearing the sounds of the crack of the bat and spring training? That's really that couldn't be more accurate, Mike. I'll tell you what. I'm I'm, I'm down in, in Florida now, and uh, it, it's amazing just to you know hanging around uh, for breakfast around the uh, hotel where a lot of Mets fans come, you know, on, on vacations and whatnot. I, I was just overhearing so much, uh, so much baseball chatter, and uh, you know, you think opening day was was five days away as opposed to like almost a month away, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, certain the Yankee fans are the same way. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's one of those times. You know, it's a baseball town. Uh, we, we, we like to give it its, 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 its uh, recognition whenever the other sports are kind of, you know, taking their turn on the stage. But New York is a baseball town, always has been, and uh, especially in this year, it's. Uh, it's never turned its eyes more longingly toward the sport, uh, no matter which side of town you're on. What's interesting is that you have the, uh, you know, a lot of the discussion about the game itself, the length of the game, some new rules about visits to the mound have been put in place. You hear all sorts of things about, you know, maybe the game is stale. Maybe they need to do things like, um, Institute, uh, and you wrote about this uh, earlier in the week, uh, you could have anybody bat in the ninth inning, a uh, seven-inning game. There's been so many different things over the last couple of years that have been thrown out there for, uh, I guess, consumption. And I don't know if they're trial balloons or if they're real. Um, and I know in your piece you talked about how the NBA has been progressive and the NFL has been progressive, whether it be the three-point line, the, you know, the two-point conversion. But somehow those things, which may have seemed crazy back when they came out, um, really don't seem all that crazy. Anytime you want to tinker with baseball, as a long-term baseball fan, it just it doesn't feel right. Maybe this is how people felt about the DH back in the 70s, but it just doesn't feel right to me. You know, Mike, even the DH, though, I, I, I'm still no, no fan of the DH. I'd rather see it disappear. But the DH is, is, is a rule that's, that it's still kind of within the context of the of the sport, you know, I mean, you can see that you can explain it, you know, it's, it's, it's logical, even if it's not necessarily, you know, uh, a perfect rule. I mean, the, the notion of a pitcher not, not, not hitting, you know, you can explain that away in the context of lineups and just the way the game is played. Uh, it's, and, 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 you know, does baseball need to be tweaked? Of course it does. I mean, look, I think there was a lot of outrage last year when, when, uh, when, when they did away with intentional walks. And, you know, I think we, the sport survived. It was it, 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 that's the kind of stuff. If it, if it, if it instituted, it, it still makes sense within the, within the context of the rules. 
Uh, it's just a, some of the other stuff. I mean, the, the, the shortening of the games. I've, I've heard now people talk about, you know, three-pitch walks and two-pitch strikeouts, which I think is absurd. Um, and, and, but, you know, the two things that really kind of just, 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 just drive me crazy is the uh, the one you referenced, which is the one that came out this week, which probably got more attention than it deserved, but that's part of the appeal of baseball is that, you know, baseball causes people to have conversations about things, even in the middle of February, which was, you know, the idea that you can send anybody you want up in the ninth inning, regardless of what the batting order says. And the other thing that drives me nuts is the idea of a man on second in the 11th inning, because, you know, and part of why that bothers me is not just, it's not just the illogical nature of it, but, you know, baseball is the only, is the only sport that I know of that tries to say, you want less of our product, not more. You know, I, I have to be honest with you. I went to a lot of games when I was a kid. I never once complained to my father, my God, it's too long. Let's go home. Let's leave the ballpark today. You know, and I, and I get it. Kids today aren't the way I was when I was eight, nine years old. But I still think, you know, I look around the ballpark, I still see a lot of engaged kids. You know, maybe sometimes they're on their phones also. But, you know, I don't know the pace of, the, the, the pace of play is as egregious. It's, a, it's an issue. Yes, we all want shorter games. We want, we want faster pace more than anything else. But I just don't know that uh, it, 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 it's a reason to have so so many of these uh, brain inspirations, I guess, for lack of a better word, that I just don't think, you know, are very helpful in, in solving the problem. And you know what, Mike, I, I agree with you, and I, and I definitely think that as the game gets more complicated, and you think about the NFL, you think about the NBA, you know, sometimes you need a master's degree to figure out defenses in the NFL, and, and the NBA with analytics and, and schemes, it's complicated. I don't know if the average fan really understands or can articulate the defensive three-second rule. Baseball's simpler. I think even with the positioning of the outfielders, the pitching changes, maybe the different signs or how pitchers now, this is their livelihood, are taking a step back and saying, okay, what do I want to do here? The real conundrum for the league is commercialization. If you shortened, and they're not going to do that, you shorten the commercials, you got things going in between innings quicker, there's millions of dollars at stake. Now, what some fans have said, and I think they tweaked, I don't know if it was an NBA, uh, NBA game or an MLB game, you do that kind of screen and screen with the commercials, perhaps, and maybe that helps. Right. Uh, and, and splits the, the baby in two, so to speak. But that's the real rub here, I believe. And that's the thing that nobody wants to touch because it's revenue. But I think that's where this all goes. It is, I mean, how many times, Mike, if you watch a game, if you're not at the ballpark, you could memorize the commercial sequence inning after inning. You, and I don't know how many of those products you buy, but you know about them. And I think that's where this all comes into play, the, the, the speed and the time and whatnot. Sure. You know, we, we, you know, every four years we all get interested in the World Cup, right? And, and those games aren't interrupted by commercial breaks because they're, you know, segments of the game are sponsored by, you know, whoever and British Airways or whatever. And, you know, uh, you know and that's the thing. I mean, you know, I, I guess I'm not uh, – I, I won't play myself off of some kind of uh, advertising expert to, to understand, like, you know, what the – what the impact is between a full board commercial and, you know, a sponsorship call at the bottom of the screen. Although as somebody who, you know, when you DVR something, never watches one commercial ever, <laughs> I would think it might be more beneficial to have your sponsorships actually during the, you know, field of play. And certainly you have that stuff you know, going on now with, uh, with, with, with billboards, you can better visible on TV, the stuff behind the plate that's visible on TV. Uh, but right now, that stuff is all supplemental to the, to the to the baseline advertising. And you're right. I mean, the, the problem is when you start when you start messing with advertising or suggesting that commercials can be shorter, that kind of stuff. Now you're talking about the bottom line, and suddenly when you're talking about the bottom line for baseball people, 
uh, pace of play doesn't seem quite so important. Um, and look, I get it. You, you got to pay the bills, you know. I mean, you know, ball players don't you know don't play for room and board anymore. I mean, they pay they play for you know they 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 they, they play for millions and millions of dollars, and somehow you have to you have to uh, you know generate revenue. I get that, but um, you know when you, you when when you're talking about about altering the very nature of the way the game is played, that's when I think you have to really you know take a, take a deep breath, take a step back, and say, you know, what are we really doing here? I have with me Mike Vaccaro, New York Post, at Mike Vac on Twitter. Uh, obviously, a good follow. Check him out at the New York Post. Uh, I know all the talk is about the Yankees, you know, and your paper even is already naming how, uh, you know, what, what are they going to call the new murderer's row. But I'll tell you what, you know, the Mets have obviously question marks, and things could go horribly wrong. But you pointed out a couple of weeks back, they have a couple of interesting cornerstones. You have Ioannis Cespedes, you have Noah Syndergaard. And, uh, you know, this is a team that went to the World Series just a couple of years ago. Again, a lot of ifs. I know things could go bad. I know they have warts. But somehow, and I think this will be beneficial to them, what's going on with the Yankees, with all the hype, and how everybody's pretty much forgotten about these young arms and has written them off, it may play in their favor, providing that, like you said, you have the two big guys, the big pitcher, the big hitter, and can they stay healthy? Can they be focused? Can they perform? Yeah, you know, I have two thoughts about that, Mike. One, I mean, and you're right. I mean, I, I did write about this a couple of weeks ago regarding Syndergaard and Cespedes. I mean, these are guys that a year ago uh, were legitimate candidates, you know, in legitimate talks to say, well, who's going to win the Cy Award this year? Who's going to win the MVP this year? I mean, and, you know, those are two guys who were in both conversations. And basically they were both gone for the bulk of the year. Syndergaard, it's all of it, you know, uh, Cespedes for – Half, but it was it was more than that because he was playing hurt even though most of the time that he was there. And look, I mean, it's no coincidence you lose two impactful players like that. You're going to have a, street, a struggle of the year. Um, so really, in a lot of ways, it makes sense. Maybe 70-92 is a little to the extreme of what you might have thought even with those out. But it was easier to forget during the, the long slog of that season that you know. But by, by the way, we're missing our two most most important players. And, uh, and and so I think that's something to consider when you're thinking about the Mets this year. Also, you know, it, 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 the, the other point I was going to make is, and, and you make a good point about this also, is that you know there's, there always tends to be a conversation every couple of years, well, are the Mets going to be able to take back the town for the Yankees? And look, I'm as guilty as that as anybody. I love I love this. I, I love pluming that as a as a subject matter. Uh, it, it, it's a great talker no matter when because Mets fans are always going to say, yeah, it's going to be our town next year or whatever. And certainly it seemed like the Mets were, were inching toward that uh, in the last couple of years, although I don't think they ever quite got there. But the point being that there is some, there is some value to being able to play a little bit in the shadows and to be, you know, it's, it's to, to, to not have every expectation, every burden placed on your shoulders. Um, I thought the 16 Mets actually did a, did a remarkable job given the fact uh, you know, they were trying to live up to the expectations of a dream ride the year before and still managed to make the playoffs despite basically having, you know, Two and a half healthy pitchers the last two months of the season, um, and last year obviously they 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 they, they fell a little flat for a lot of different reasons. But um, I, I do think there's a value for the Mets now. I mean, you know, all this attention is going to be played on the Yankees, and you know maybe they'll win 110 games like everybody expects, and maybe they'll hit a thousand home runs like everybody expects, and they'll be this great baseball minstrel show like everybody expects, and that's fine. But the Mets can also do their business now and not have every eyeball attached to them and have every question every time they lose a tough four or three game in the ninth. And maybe that will help them. Uh, I, I do think the, the making of that team, you know, you don't necessarily want to strive to be the second banana in town, but 
it's maybe not a bad thing to not have that much of a, of a burden, you know, placed on you the way it was the last couple of years with the Yankees. You know, now the Yankees are back to being the Yankees in terms of attention and expectation. Yeah, absolutely. And look, the thing that remains is the Yankees have been around since the beginning pretty much of the league. They're always going to be historical. The Mets are a newer team. They're a spawn of the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants. And look, if the Brooklyn Dodgers were still around and the Mets never came to play, they very well may be looked at in that historical, iconic sense in that way. Uh, I, I know what happened in the 80s, and I was very young uh, when I watched those teams. But the Yankees still were popular. I mean, George was still running amok around. You still had Winfield and Mattingly. I don't know if the Mets ever really took the town. I don't know if they ever can take the town. I agree with you. It's a baseball debate. I don't know if it really matters. And I think it matters to Mets fans who are insecure. Yankee fans don't like being told they're not number one. And at the end of the day, if we really did a scientific poll, which may be impossible, you probably have a certain amount of Mets fans that are hardcore fans, a certain amount of Yankee fans that are hardcore fans. They're probably rather even. And then you have the people that say, you know, I just like going to a baseball game and I'll fling back and forth. I really believe that. Can't prove it, but I really believe that that's the, 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 the fabric of the baseball fan here in New York. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that, too. Uh, I, I do think that both teams have their, their fervent supporters, and then there's a pretty sizable amount that goes back and forth. And I think that's where you have the, you know, the argument or the question or the whatever you want to call it about you know, who owns the town. It's basically who owns those you know, 45% in the middle. We don't really have a, a strong allegiance one way or the other. But you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, look, if, if the Mets had won the, 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 the World Series in 2015, uh, they wouldn't have cared if they were considered the owners of the town or not because they would have been the owners of the Commissioner's Trophy. And that's really, at the end of the day, all that really matters. What do you think of Mickey Calloway? Look, I know everything. If you can't be positive right now and you can't have positive stories in all 30 camps, then you're never going to be positive at any point. Uh, you hear a lot of good things. I know he had his first little storm there. Well, actually, he has Ted, too, first with the Donald Trump Jr. thing and then with Don Smith and how he handled that and whether or not the Mets handled the PR part of it completely clean is a debate, I guess, that will be ongoing, considering that you know the same people who run the PR are, have been there for a 1,000 years. So, um, But you, you see a lot of good signs with Mickey Calloway. He's a little bit more of a modern, fresh voice. Um, I was talking to a non-baseball fan the other day uh, that I was with, and, and she was like, who's that? I'm like, that's the Mets manager. Like, really? Like, after seven years of watching me watch Terry Collins, she's like, that's the Mets manager? That's my wife, by the way. So, any, anyway, <laughs> she didn't know that was. She was impressed. But she's heard me complain about Terry Collins far too often. So, anyway, um, again, I know it's early, and how can we not feel good now? But any initial thoughts? You're down in Florida. I'm sure you've, you're going to have a chance to interact with him at some point as well, if you haven't already. Well, Mike, the one thought I have is I'm not sure how you're going to spend how you're going to replace all of your time and spend the last seven yes. years hyperventilating at Terry at Terry Collins's very but Mike it very me up I really it, it was it was so frustrating and I have nothing personal against the guy I just have a very course, high standard course. for managers and I've said this to you right. I think what I got ruined is at 15 years old I'm watching the Knicks and Pat Riley and I really respect what Riley has done and when you start at a young age watching sports with that everything else felt kind of falls in compact, you know, it falls second yeah. banana in comparison, really. No, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, of course, I'm, I'm joking, although not quite, because you, you, you obviously had your, look, and, and, and I, I, would, I would dare say most Mets fans had a real issue with the way Terry Collins managed the team the last 
seven years. And I mean, you know, it, you know, it was almost like, you know, we were all kind of looking at each other like, they really got the World Series on this guy, really? I mean, uh, but uh, I, I will say this in, in fairness to, 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 to Callaway, I think that, uh, you know, he can have growing pains also. I think that, you know, you know, you can be a, you can be an incredibly established and, and and efficient guy in one area of the of, of the business as he was as a pitching coach, but you're still going to have to learn on on the job how to be a manager. And you know I do get the sense that uh, that, that that maybe the Mets and he thought he might have overdone the kumbaya aspect of his personality uh, at his opening press conference and you know his opening you know statements and he, you know I I don't think he's necessarily going to be the uh, the old school tough guy that I think was what Terry Collins' persona was. But I do think. Look, I mean, I don't think it was a hard decision for him to take Tom Smith out of the lineup the other day, but I do think it was the right decision, and it was pretty clear that that was the only decision he had to make. So it wasn't like he had to he had to ponder what to do, you know, the right thing to do there. So I think that's an encouraging sign, um, and I do think that you know Smith is is uh, you know he's so chasing, and now he's such a part of the team that he's hurt now. So so he learned this lesson, but. Um, I do think that, look, I mean, the, 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 for the first few weeks and months of the season, will there be some times when you scratch your head over things Mickey Calloway does? I'm sure there are. So he took the job anyway. I mean, you know, Tony LaRusso in his, in his last weeks were probably, was probably being, being uh, second-guessed by a lot of Cardinals fans, even as he was polishing up his, his Hall of Fame statue. So it's the nature of the game, and it's, it, it, it's not a job that's anywhere near as easy as it seems to be to the casual observer, as you know, as you all know. But I do think that uh, – does seem to have the, the proper skill sets to borrow an old Mets term, and I think it's important. And I think Aaron Boone's got the same thing. I mean, it's, it's really curious. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine to, to remember it in New York, where two of the biggest question marks were the two managers. You know, because it's been a while since we've had guys who are you know who, who, who are new on the job. <clears throat> and I think you can have the same questions with Aaron Boone. I think Aaron Boone's probably got a few more resources, and maybe some of his early mistakes can, will be will be hidden by you know. Would we assume will be some eight and nine run onslaughts that maybe the Mets won't have? But I do think that uh, you know it's the same thing for both sides of town. I mean, learning how to manage is you know the hardest part of being a manager. And I think the only way you know it's, it's kind of like everything else. You know, it's all about reps. And I think I think Mick Callaway needs his reps. And you know you're only going to get a certain amount of those in spring training games. So it's going to be a lot of on the job training for him. I think for Aaron Boone also. Yeah, and I think both of them have learned pretty quickly that communication and, and look. You remember the media and whether, you know, the the value of what you're doing is for entertainment. Uh, some of it is obviously a large part of it is journalism, but it's sports. You know, we're not covering the White House. There is an entertainment value. There are narratives that get pushed. I think both these guys understand they have to control that. I think the teams, especially the Yankees, understand that. will be interesting to see how much rope they each get, who gets more rope, because both of them are talkers so far, you could tell, Boone and Callaway. Um, so you're going to get a bite. How that that plays out if the Yankees start out four and eight, if the Mets at the end of April are seven games behind and looking lethargic again, and they're running the bases poorly again, and Matt Harvey stinks again, that will be interesting. I think Callaway may get a little more rope than Boone, but who knows? I mean, maybe not because everyone's just going to assume, well, it's only a matter of time before the Yankees get out of this because of the sluggers. It'll be very interesting to see that. I, I hear on that, on that mic, but I, I, I actually I, I think I, I agree that Cal is going to get more rope just because you know right now you look at the two teams. I mean the Yankees are everybody's just about everybody's not just Justin Verlander's but just about everybody's uh, pick to win the World Series. Even you know Justin Verlander and Vegas, I guess the two outliers. I guess those are two big ones. But 
Um, you know, the Mets right now, I think even the most optimistic Mets fan is going to concede that, well, they're not going to concede the division to the, to the Nationals. If you can concede the Nationals right now are a better team. So it would take, you know, a, a special year along the line of 2015 to unseat them. And so with their goal right now is to try and just get in the playoffs, which is certainly, I think, a reasonable goal. But I do think the just the, the entering expectations will say that, if, you know, if both teams stumble out of the gate 5 and 10, it's going to be the Yankees around which the, you know, the, the scrutiny is going to, you know, get a little tighter. Um, and, uh, you know, fairly or unfairly, that's just the way I think it's going to be. You know, they're, they're, you know George Steinbrenner hasn't been a part of the equation for some time, and yet <clears throat> it seems like, you know, a, a lot of Yankees fans have been uh, granted his uh, impatience <laughs> in absentia. And as a result, uh, you know, that's why when the Yankees are struggling, it seems like Armageddon is approaching. And I realize that, 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 that Mets fans are just as exacting as Yankees fans. It's just that I do think that uh, just to, uh, uh, trying to manage expectations this year. Plus, I mean, when, when you're coming off a year like last year, I just think that any kind of any kind of gradual improvement is going to be embraced by the fan base. Even if, even if they still remain angry over the way the Mets did things in the off season, or if there is this, we should have gotten this, we should have gotten that done. I think that 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 that, that, that the, the, the primary core of Mets fan is still going to be uh, willing to be patient in terms of of uh, of results as long as there is a notable and gradual improvement of what we saw last year. And I think that that's kind of a low bar to, to, to actually be able to surpass. So you got two teams you're covering. You're down in Florida. Uh, what are the two or three big stories that we could expect out of you? I don't know how long you're going to be down there, but just give an idea to the listeners what what you're looking at, because obviously there's some very interesting storylines here, not just the managers, not just Mike uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things I think at play, and I'm sure you'll find some because you always do. So, give us an idea what you're looking at over the next week or two weeks, however long you're down there. Well, I know that I, that, that, you know, I, I, I definitely uh, got lucky because the three the, the three days I'm going to be covering from Fort St. Lucie, which is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm not sure what the order is, but I know that uh, that, that uh, Syndergaard's uh, DeGrom and, and Harvey are going to start those three games. I'm not sure which order it is. So I would imagine that at some point, maybe all points, I'll be running about pitching uh, because despite, you know, everything that the Mets have tried to do in terms of preventing their lineup, uh, they've made a team that's probably going to to be, you know, bound for wherever they're going based on how, on, on not only the health, but the performance of the pitching staff. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm especially intrigued to see what Noah, Noah Syndergaard looks like this year and, and see him against live hitters for the first time essentially since last April. So I think it's going to be pretty pitching heavy. Uh, over at the Yankees, I mean, see, you know, it's interesting. See, everybody, everybody from day one, and you're right, we we started this T-shirt kind or this slogan contest, whatever it is, you know, to name the team, and that's all fun. You know, it's all good fun. I don't necessarily like. I mean, John Carlson had a monster year last year, and now we're talking about how he, you know, changed his stance and so forth, and that helps him do that. And that that's great. This what that that was the first time in his career when he surpassed. 40, you know, 40, let alone 50 home runs. So it'll be interesting to see how he does that. I'm curious about Judge. I mean, I know that Judge is, you know, was, has talked about how it was his shoulder that kind of kept him from, you know, the, the, the crazy high pace he was in for, for a while and put him into a slump. But, but he's also a guy, he's a second-year player. You know, I mean, can you really expect 50 home runs every year from this guy? So it's going to be very interesting to see how these two guys, uh, you know, play with each other. Now, obviously, look, I mean, both guys can hit the ball to right field and at Yankee Stadium. That's a wonderful skill to have. So uh, that might, uh, you know, that that might over overcome any, you know, whatever kind of of thing they're going to have to, you know, learn how to do in terms of playing with each other and playing with expectations. But 
Uh, I really do think that that's fascinating, but I also think what's fascinating is that lineup around them. I mean, it's, I, 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 I do think that it's, it's a strong enough, deep enough lineup where, you know, you can endure the kind of slump that Judge went through last year and the kind of slump that Stanton will ne- never really go through because he's gone through one every year. And, uh, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm especially interested in, in guys like Gregorius, who, you know, is, was probably their best player last year. And you never, you, it, was, it was only after he went four for four again that you said to yourself, you know, he's pretty good. Um, and, you know, so it's a, and a, and a guy like that. And I think Greg Bird is, you know, maybe quietly be the guy who winds up with the, uh, the biggest advantage because he's got all the protection in the lineup and he's got, uh, you know, it's natural power stroke toward right field. So uh, those are the things that really interest me. Listen, if anyone follows you, the last thing for you, follow Sandy Alderson when he's walking your dog and ask him a question because that still, to me, <laughs> is one of the best uh, best stories. And those, and those who don't know it, go look it up. You'll find it. So, uh, Mike, uh, be well. I know you're a little under the weather. Thank you for uh, grinding through it. And uh, we'll catch up as the season goes on. And uh, thanks so much again. Always good talking to you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post, and if you guys uh, have followed him, and I guess it was about two years ago or a year ago when he was trying to ask Sandy Alderson a question, a question that Sandy didn't like, and basically he says, I'm walking my dog as golden retriever. I guess he was relieving himself out in the back over at City Field. So anyway, good stuff from Mike. A lot of stuff to chew on. Let's take a quick break. We'll wrap up. Final thoughts, uh, some reaction to the Mike Vaccaro interview right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com and get Metsmerized today that's a great segment by Mike Vaccaro and uh, always appreciate him being on some really interesting stuff we're pretty much on the same page with a lot of different things. So um, really find that uh, to be one of our better guests that we have on. We always have Mike on once or twice a year, so uh, that'll be that. So what's next? I'm um, going to continue to uh, update everybody from Port St. Lucie, trying to get the, the best and the brightest that are down there. There's actually now at The Athletic and um, the Newsday, I think, hiring some new beat reporters. I'm going to try to see if how accessible these new guys are, maybe have them uh, pop on the show at some point. It, it's good to see a little bit of fresh blood on the Mets beat. I think that's a good thing, too. I think they needed that uh, needed that badly. As much as the team needed some fresh blood in the coaching staff, it needs, it's always good to mix up the beat. It's been a transition because of uh, some of the big departures over the last couple of years with Adam Rubin leaving and so on and so forth. But we always have our old reliables. Of course, we're trying to you know, get our friend Kevin Kernan on. He's been doing a great job for the New York Post down in Port St. Lucie. Uh, our friend Rich Catino, he has his show on Sunday nights. I know he's been down in Port St. Lucie, did a nice one-on-one with Jay Bruce. You can 
check that out. So uh, more to come and, and really just trying to analyze and look at where the team is at. Right now, it's just too early to break things down. The real, like I said in the open, the real story here is setting the tone, setting the tone and the culture. And I think the, the coaching staff has done an outstanding job with that, like I told Mike. And, and I agree with him. You know, there's, there's definitely something to be said for, um, for what's been going on with this team in the last couple of years. So it's really nice to, uh, to have a different type of atmosphere and feel good about this team. Now it's about out, going out there and performing. That's, it's nothing more than that. So anyway, we'll be back next week. And uh, stay tuned for, for more uh, action here from the Talking Mets podcast. It may even, you know, depending on the availability of some of our friendly neighborhood beat reporters and, uh, and columnists down in Florida, maybe even pop in the show a grapefruit roundup in the middle of the week. So keep going to my Twitter feed at Mike Silva Media and check it out and be able to give you the latest update on that. But we're out of time. I want to thank Mike Vaccaro for coming on. Check him out on Twitter at Mike Vac. Check him out at the New York Post. Of course, you can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Like I said, send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, and now at our buddies The Grueling Truth, which is also available on the iHeart Media Network, iHeartRadio. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a great rest of the Sunday. See you soon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.